What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. By way of introduction, if you don't know me, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. You can learn more about me and how we can work together at elisecortez.com or gusto-now.com. Let me thank my partner and sponsor, WorkProud. We are a perfect collaboration. Everyone wants to know they matter and that the work they do is meaningful and appreciated. WorkProud is a mobile platform built to encourage employees to share stories and recognize each other's contribution. WorkProud empowers HR and business leaders to help create company cultures where all employees are inspired to feel proud of their work and proud of their company. Learn more at WorkProud.com. With us today is Jared Pope. He's the founder and CEO of WorkShield, the first and only start-to-finish workplace harassment and discrimination solution and technology platform that gives employees a real voice, protects and ensures a safe workplace culture, and removes employer liability all at the same time. We'll be talking about the current workplace issues facing many companies, get into some of the various ways harassment takes place, which will inspire, will surprise you, I'm sure, and learn some of the things that companies can do to create a safe culture that reduces harassment and discrimination. We are here together in WorkShield's Dallas office. This is the first post-COVID time in-person interview that I've conducted, and it's so great to be in this office. Jared, welcome to Working on Purpose. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. This is so great. You know, as when, when I first got to know you, when I interviewed you for the CEO Leader Series, and I learned what you did, and I loved your passion for what you do. I just loved it. And when you got moved by the meaning of your work and how, how you help people, that just, I'm like, you, you have to come on the show. <laughs> and you. and you're welcome. And then when I started thinking about, you know, since work is such an important part of our lives, we spend at least a third, if not a half of our life, our time on the planet at work. If it's not a place that is fulfilling and meaningful for us, and those relationships aren't nurturing and fulfilling it's kind of a waste. And so a big reason that I wanted to have you on the show is the work that you're doing is helping to improve that environment, that culture, those relationships. And so specifically, when we get into some of the issues of harassment, I think people will be surprised is really what that where that comes from and what we can do about it. So welcome. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of the things, I mean, today with the workplace culture, we, pre-COVID, everybody was hey, don't bring your home to work. And then with COVID, everyone was like, take work to home. And now we're in this kind of weird scenario (laughs) of, hey, do we take work home or do we bring home back to work? And so it's been interesting over the last 18 months. Well, and and it has been interesting. And and if we go back to just your background, how you even got started in this space, when I looked at your your bio and and your website and such, and back in our notes from our our first conversation, uh, I knew that when you were practicing law and running a practice focused on human resources, ERISA, benefit, ERISA benefits and employment matters, you said you even realized then that industry standard practices and the system for managing workforce harassment and discrimination were broken. And this is how WorkShield was actually born. 
Can you say more about first your just earlier career and background and your environment? Why did you choose to get in this field? And then we'll get into why WorkShield exists. Sure. Yeah. So a little background. So I started practicing law or thought about getting into law because yeah, early on, everyone's like, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. And so I like to argue, <laughs> or at least my mom said I did and my grandmother, and I have a twin brother. I really think it was because I had a twin brother. And so uh, all that being said, I said, well, I'm going to go be a lawyer. So then when I got into law, to law school, I, I kind of just said, okay, what do I do? What, what do I find exciting? And it was really this kind of HR, tax, ERISA. And for anybody that knows me individually, most tax attorneys, a social one looks at other people's shoes, right? And so- <laughs> That's what I've heard. And when you think about my background, I sold books door to door. I, you know, I'm the, I want to talk, I want to see who everybody is. And if we invite everyone, if we have a party, I'm one that's going to say, let's invite everybody. <laughs> Where my wife and also co-founder, she's the one that'll say, let's invite one couple. <laughs> so that's kind of the two differences. So when I got into law and I was like, well, I kind of like tax because it's interesting and I know I can do really well, but it was kind of this specialized ERISA benefits, HR tax component, which also had employment into it. And so from there, I just got into it. And so worked at Baker Botts and Fulbright Jaworski. And then looking back on that time, what I really thought about it was, you know, it was really check the box compliance. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the system that most people have been in is more about, hey, what do I just need to do to check the box? And they're not really concerned previously about really hearing the employee's voice and why do we want to hear that voice and, and what's the meaning and purpose behind it. And so when the Me Too movement started, it really just came to being like, okay, the system's broken. And so how do we fix it from there? Mm -hmm. I, what I so appreciate about what you're saying, um, I think you said that was, that was 2017. Uh, it started to 2017. I actually got an article a friend of mine who's actually on the advisory board for WorkShield sent me an article and I'm always thinking about new ideas. And so I read the article and that's really what started and prompted saying, okay, how do we change this problem? Mm -hmm. How do we fix this broken system? Mm -hmm. from I there? love that Jared. And here's why, right? So when you, I love that you had a finger to the pulse that you, that you were alert and aware enough to recognize this isn't just a, a bunch of swirl that's going on here. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong with the overall system that we're working in. That's right. And I think that's that's I, for any listeners and viewers. I mean, this is the opportunity, right? We start to see a problem. What can we do about it? And this, I don't even know how long we've been working in this system. Well, it, it's interesting. If you think about the broken system, it's been around for 40, 50 plus years. But it's even more than that, because discrimination, harassment, you know, workplace misconduct, it's been around forever. And it's only now recently with the Me Too movement and what I call the tweet heard around the world, it's the Lisa Milano tweet that said, hey, me too. Mm -hmm. And so only then did people say, hey, no more. Mm -hmm. And even today, you know, it happens all the time. And it's really kind of this, this idea and mission of ours to say, hey, there is a way to handle this. And it is a broken system. We have a solution. We know how to fix the broken system. But it's like anything. Anything disruptive, anything that's new, people are like, wait, time out. Yeah. You're, you're telling us what we did in the past was wrong. Well, absolutely, it's a broken system. And so, but there's a way to get there and we'll get into that. So, yeah. 
Well, and of course, what I'm all about, right? So much of what I'm doing on the show for the last six years, and I, as I told you, your episode number 328, is really trying to evolve the conversation, right. the world in which we live, how we do business, how we do work inside companies, and how we do business outside in the outside world, evolve that. And that's an ongoing iterative process. That's right. And, and I think for any business leader in any company, they first have to understand you know, it's such an iterative process, but the workplace culture is just a microcosm right. of what's going on in society. Right. And it, you first have to get on board with that. It, if you don't, that just means your head's in the sand and you don't care. And I think most leaders are like, oh, okay, I get it. I understand it. But then when you add in Me Too, the BLM, LGBTQ, you have the political side of things over the last year, people are now understanding, wait, We've had this kind of petri dish of experiment of wait, what's happening outside is absolutely happening internally at our workplace cultures. And so leaders are now faced with DE and I and diversity, equality, and inclusion, this harassment, this discrimination. How do we solve and address this? Because you know what? People have said no more. Yeah. And their voice wants to be heard. Well, Oh, and here we are in the city. Do you hear? We actually have fire trucks. What a, what a concept. The world is is, is out there. Um, so as you know, Jared, and some of the listeners and viewers that are, are watching know that this show is really designed to be educational, mm -hmm. inspirational, really pull the conversation forward. In fact, I'm proud to say that this show was identified as number seven in 60 shows of Future of Work podcast, the top 60 podcast, number seven. So I'm very proud of that. Thank you. So, of course, in preparation for the conversation, what I wanted to do was I wanted to better understand harassment and discrimination because it's not my world. It's not my camp. And so, listeners and viewers, I want, to, I want to share with you that I discovered, and I'm going to ask Jared to kind of chime in on this, there are at least 11 types of, of harassment, discriminatory, personal, physical, power, psychological, cyberbullying, cyber retaliation, sexual, quid pro quo sexual, verbal, and third party. And just listing these out already, I hope, starts to elevate your understanding of what this problem is and just how widespread it is. So having listed that for them, Derek, yeah. help us kind of understand, again, we're talking about the, the experience of the workplace today. So chime in a bit on those are 11 kinds of harassment that you probably deal with all the time. Right, we do. And, and I think the important point first of it is most people think harassment is the quid pro quo. Like, hey, you're not going to get a promotion or you're not going to be able to do this unless you do some sexual favor or there's some kind of sexual aspect related to it. But there's all these other avenues and it's very nuanced and it's very microaggressions. It's very kind of, wait, did, did they just say what I think they mean? <laughs> and what does that entail? And so, look, some of the some of the easy ones are kind of the physical side of it, right? Because people understand physicality, they understand the touching and that aspect. But then let's talk about cyberbullying. Let's talk about psychological. And psychological one is often one that comes up to where, okay, what is that? Well, that's basically, what if you have a boss or a leader who always says, that's a dumb idea? Yeah. Or why, why are you even talking? Yes. Right? Yeah. And so now is that common in itself, harassment, Maybe, maybe not, but you add them all together and now all of a sudden we're shutting voices down. We're doing this psychological kind of beat down to the individual and that's where psychological harassment comes in. And so there's all these nuances and I think it's important for employers and individuals to really to move forward that conversation is to say, hey, wait, time out. You mean it's not just a sexual or quid pro quo? 
there's a lot of other stuff going on that most likely executives and leaders in HR, they just don't know about. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly why I wanted to have you on the show, because, of course, what I'm up to in the world is trying to make work a place that people can thrive. If that's they right. don't feel good about the interactions around them and their relationships and how they're being treated, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. And most of us don't have your head walking around in the matter. So we don't really understand these nuances and how to distinguish them. So you're here to also educate. So thank you yeah. for that. Um, I also wanted, if we could, I, I, to, to the extent that you're able here, I wanted to be able to help listeners and viewers to understand um, the, the problem. Situate, do you have any statistics to help us understand just how widespread this is? One thing I can say is you and your firm are a busy man. I know that. We are. We so, are. <laughs> so yeah, there, there's some general stats out there. And what's interesting, when I first started kind of looking into this kind of issue, this workplace misconduct, it was kind of hard to find the true stats that are out there because you think about it, okay, who's actually reporting this stuff? And so when you look at the EEOC side of it, the EEOC tracks data and they basically say, look, 75% of the issues do not get reported. Wow. And so you think about that. So only one in four of the issues are actually being reported. And that means not just reported to the EEOC, that means reported to HR, the managers, the supervisors, and even those quote unquote anonymous hotlines that go directly back to HR and the managers. And so when you think about that, that's 75%. And here's some other stats. They also say in, in, a, in a population of, of a company, so let's say a thousand life company, because it's, it's easy to think about. There's about 4% of the issues. So what does that mean? That means a thousand life company is going to have about 40 issues per year. Did you say a thousand life? As in the, you call the word yeah, life now. Life or employees. I love so, that. That's so much better. Yeah. So like a thousand life company, they're going to have on average about 40 issues per year that deal with harassment and discrimination. And so mm. when you think about that, and most companies of that size will be like, we don't have that many. Well, hang on, time out. Are you saying you don't have that many EEOC charges? Yeah, you probably don't. But how much is your HR and management team actually solving for or what they often call the drama? How much drama are they actually dealing with? And when you add those up, yeah, it's about 40. And so, but every one of those issues is a potential harassment or discrimination. And are you handling it correctly? And, but more importantly, are you really giving your employee a voice? But then they often say, well, wait, we don't get any reported because we have an open door policy. Okay, but let's remember 75% don't report. Yeah. So are you really true and really understand what's happening? And so, and then there was a recent study done by the ADA. And so, uh, and AARP, and AARP came out and said that 90% of the individuals over 40 agree that discrimination based on age and harassment based on age is in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So if you have a thousand companies, 900 of them are going to have harassment or discrimination based on age. And then they broke it down even further. And they said 64% of the women have experienced harassment or discrimination based on age. And 52% of the men have experienced that. Wow. But now out of all of that, guess how many report? 25, 25%. 3%. Oh, wow. So out of a thousand live company, only three people are reporting. And so the question is begged, why? And why not? Right? Not why are they not reporting, but why is it built this way to where they don't report? And it, and it comes down, we can talk about that, but it comes down to fear. 
Yes. Yes. And I I do want to talk more about that because I want to talk about how the shrapnel effects, of course. So let's grab our first break. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We're on air with Jared Pope. He's the founder and CEO of WorkShield. We've been talking a bit about what what's the state of today's workforce. After the break, we're going to get into some known factors for harassment and some responsive strategies. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. As I've watched the pandemic continue on, we look for ways to help companies support their employees handle their anxiety, stress, depression, and feeling disconnected, while also helping to fill and and inspire them with ongoing professional development. So we now offer a well-being webinar learning series called Grab Your Gusto, Vital Well-Being from the Inside Out. You can learn more at elisecortez.com or send me an email to elise at elisecortez.com. If you're just joining the program, my guest is Jared Pope, founder and CEO of WorkShield, the first and only start-to-finish workplace harassment and discrimination solution and technology platform that gives employees a real voice, protects and ensures a safe workplace culture, and removes employer liability all at the same time. We're together at the WorkShield office in Dallas for this conversation. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So carrying on here, uh, Jared, one of the things that we were talking about before the break is, is just really what's going on in terms of the workplace. And, and I also wanted to say a little something, as I said, about the shrapnel. So if these people are experiencing this and they're not reporting it, what I start to think about is what does that do for the rest of their lives? What's happening when they come home? What's happening to their relationships with their, with their significant others, to their children? What's the ripple effect of this problem? To me, it all comes to communication. And the ripple effect is if people are experiencing some form of harassment or discrimination and they're not able to raise that voice, well, then they go home and they're upset and they're stressed and they're anxious. And then they get home and their spouse is like, what's wrong? And then if they do communicate to them, it's like, well, let me tell you everything that's wrong. And then the spouse gets protective or they either say, oh, just deal with it because we need the job. We need the income. And then the kids are saying like, well, mom or dad, why are you crying? Or maybe it's a single mom or a single dad. And now they're sitting there going like, wait, I'm, I functionally cannot raise my boys because what if I lose my job? Am I going to make the, the lease payment? Am I going to make the mortgage payment? Am I going to pay the rent on time? Or am I going to be able to pay my car or buy the shoes for my kiddos because they need the job? And with unemployment today, it, it's, you get this kind of power move and power authority that really suppresses voices. And so the shrapnel effect is, look, it impacts our lives day to day. It impacts our families. It impacts our kids. It impacts our friendship. Um, Because the history shows most people are fearful of retaliation. They're fearful of being ridiculed. They're fearful of, are they going to be laughed at? Are they going to be taken seriously? 
And so when you have that anxiety and feeling in you, well, what happens? You deteriorate mm -hmm. and, and you get small and, and you don't, you, you, the way you manage your, you handle yourself and the way you manner um, the outside world becomes closed. And this is all about, look, let's open up because we need more communication. We need to talk about this stuff. And it's the same thing you mentioned earlier about the mental side of it. The mental health is huge and it impacts us. And then you add COVID and the stress of that. Now we're at a double whammy. Yeah. Yeah. And again, so much of what I stand for in life is empowering people because I want them to be their biggest, best. I want them to reach their highest potential. I want them to get to the highest level of consciousness that they can and play that game. Yeah. And you can't do that when you feel bad about your situation that you can't speak up. And as you say, you're having to shrink yourself. So, Oh, I'm so glad you came on. So, <laughs> so let's talk about this. This is also interesting. Some of my research that I did in preparation for this conversation that I had no idea some known risk factors for harassment and responsive strategies. So I want to go through a few of these that sure. I found and get you to kind of chime in with me. Sure. But um, one, one, um, one issue that was identified as, as being conducive to harassment is a homogenous workforce, right? So when you have a lot of people who look the same, somebody that shows up just looking a little bit different might be the odd man or woman out. That's right. So say a little bit about what is, how is this problematic? Well, and that's where people get into this unconscious bias. Yes. Okay. Right? It's this unconscious, you have a homogeneous or homogenous workforce and everybody looks the same. Yeah. Right. So now you have this unconscious bias against the newcomer or the outside person that comes in. So how do we actually solve for this? So when you think about, think about the financial industry, financials and banks and private equity, it's a lot of white people. Mm -hmm. And so, and, you know, this is why there's such a big uh, uh, push for this diversity. And, and you and I talked about this before where, so what is diversity and inclusion and equality, right? And in diversity, and the way I think about this, and so people may laugh, and, but I, I, I like it, but it says, hey, diversity is making sure everyone's invited to the party. Right. Mm -hmm. Inclusion is making sure everyone's on the dance floor. Mm -hmm. And then equality is making sure everyone's favorite genre of music is actually listened to. I love it. That works. And so when you think about this homogeneous or homogenous workforce, we got to we got to invite everybody to the party. Mm -hmm. We got to get rid of this. Everybody looks the same. They're wearing the same shoes and the same hat and the same shirt and everything else. We got to be different because that's what makes the world go round. Right. And we need each other. We need each other to become our best. And this is where I saw it show up really quick. And I definitely want to hit some of the other ones is when I started my human capital career 20 years ago, it was in recruiting. Okay. And I kid you not, Jared, I would sit down with the hiring manager and they would tell me that, hey, I want to hire a, a database administrator, a DBA or whatever, whatever they were hiring. And I say, okay, tell me what about this person. What, what, what do you really want? And they would go through and I kid you not, they would describe this person. And as I looked over at them as they were talking, I went, oh, you're describing yourself. You want me to go get you a copy of you. <laughs> and I'm, that's what happens yeah. is people, well, they went to my same school. You know, they may know my same people. They studied the same thing. No, 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 no. Right? right. This is the problem. So homogenous stuff just doesn't work. So another thing that I thought was really, really interesting, and you and I talked about it before we got on air, is workforces with significant power disparities can be really problematic. Yeah, so people often say, well, what do you mean by power disparity? Okay, let's think about the, the classic restaurant, fast food, McDonald's, fast casual. 
Well, the power disparity and even pay disparity, it's both, is you have the manager who makes six figures or close to six figures. And then you got the cook or the, or the person that does the fries or the cash register, and they're making $12 an hour. And if they're lucky, they're going to pay the rent. Right? right. And so now you have this power disparity where the, the cash register needs the job. The manager is like, I, I control you. So now you have this power disparity and pay disparity at yeah. the same time. Right. So that's a classic example. The other one is in the finance industry, which I know I'm, I'm harping and even the legal industry, the law firm industry. Mm-hmm. So you look at any big law firm and the attorneys and the partners they're making a million dollars a year half a million dollars two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year and then you have the secretary who's making forty thousand dollars and now you got this power disparity this pay disparity you also have younger associates who are coming in and they see the big time partners and they're like oh i'll do anything for you because you control my job and now there's this big power disparity so those are kind of the two general factors when people we talk to say, hey, what are the two factors that lead to harassment, power and pay? And that's why retail, restaurant, hospitality, financial and legal all have the highest incident rates of any other industry. Oh, no, that's really interesting. OK, now that you've, you've presenced that for us, Jared, then help us understand then how does harassment manifest under those conditions? Why does it why is it conducive? Well, people aren't speaking up. And so when you have bad actors that aren't being put in check and they're not, people aren't raising the voice. And most companies, when they handle this stuff, their, their policy, and this gets back to why the system's broken. Their policy is, oh, if you've been harassed or discriminated, go to your manager, which is the one doing it. Go to your supervisor, which is probably the one doing it, or they know the person who's doing it. Go to HR, who, do they really have time to handle this? No. It or call that a hotline, which then goes back to the same individuals. So it's conducive because that's why people don't report because it's a broken system. It's a circular system and you got to break that circular system. And then you just have people get bored. Yeah, I, I was, there's one of those points I wanted to cover for sure. But hold on just a second. I, okay. I want to make sure that our listeners and viewers are really getting this because I think it's so insidious and maybe so slippery that people aren't recognizing. And that's what I wanted to do was lift consciousness in this conversation. So this power and pay disparity. So let's say you're my boss and and I'm making, you know, an eighth of whatever that you're making, whatever it is. Well, women are smarter than men. So let's first clarify that. So, Okay. I'll be the uh, boss. Okay. (laughs) Okay. No. um, So, so, but then what does this look like? Is it, is it like, well, you know, you're smug because you know, you're well-paid and you know, I need this job. And so you're like, Hey, could you bring me some coffee or what is it? What does it look like? So it comes in many forms. And it can be from a, a physical touch. It can be like, hey, I need you to do this. And if you don't do it, I'm going to write you up. Right. It's the passive aggressive phrase, write you up. It, it's the, hey, I need you to stay late. And it's generally speaking, men are in these positions and then they see younger, attractive women and they try to say, hey, maybe I can get away with something. Or it's like, hey, if you want that promotion, I need you to stay late for various reasons. And so these are the worst cases. Well, let's talk about the nuance. Yeah, case, that's what I want right? for these The nuances well. really come down to the passive aggressive comments. It comes down to like, well, you're just a girl, so what do you really know about? Mm. Or, hey, you didn't graduate high school. Mm. How, how do you know this? Mm. Not understanding, they have common sense. And, they, and it doesn't take a high school degree or a college degree to actually be innovative 
or to actually know what you're doing. Right. And so it's the nuanced comments that sometimes the ego trippers, the power trippers try to suppress it because they're scared. They're actually scared of someone else doing better than them. And it's, it's just this little brush of a of walking by, or it's the kind of the bullying type uh, side of it, or it's the retaliation of like, well, Hey, why did you tell on me? Okay. You're going to get the bad shift. You're, you're not going to get the shift. Or if it's the mom that says, Hey, my child gets out of school at three, I need to take the morning shift. Do you mind? And they're like, no, sorry. And so it, it's these little nuanced behaviors that all add up to this harassment and discrimination. Uh, it, it, so what I hear, what, what the thing that I'm gravitating to when you talk, Jared, is it, the sheer importance of a check and balance somehow mm-hmm. that people are held to an account, held accountable for their, their behavior. And maybe that's the big thing that's missing in the system right now. Absolutely. And so... It, it, it comes from two levels. One, the executives and the leaders want to be held accountable and they want to create a safe environment for their employees. But then it's also given employees the avenue and the pathway to make sure their voice is heard. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about that, it's like, okay, well, that sounds pretty easy. Well, it's easy in theory, but has there been a real solution out there to actually allow that to happen? And there hasn't been. And so until obviously workshop came along in my humble opinion, right. but I, you know, with you, uh, right there with you. all that being said, it, you know, going back to this kind of harassment and like, why is it there? And it's, and what do, what do leaders need to think about or hear about or What is HR or managers and supervisors? It's really about look in the mirror and ask yourself a simple question. If this happened to me or my daughter or my wife or my mom, would I put up with it? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is no, then do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So there's two more that I want to cover really quick before we get to this next piece. Because afterwards, we're going to get into what can we do about this stuff. But one of the other things that I thought was interesting was in terms of a risk factor of harassment is uh, where work is monotonous. Mm-hmm. And that makes complete sense for, to me is that then we start playing games just to sort of amuse ourselves. Right. And maybe before we know it, it's gone over the line. Yeah. Um, so, how often does that happen? Just the sheer monotony of. Well, this is also a main difference between women and men, right? When men get bored, everybody will tell you, what do we think about? <laughs> right. We, you know, it's, it's, it starts three <laughs> letters and it starts with S and ends at X. Right. And so Got I'll it. let you fill in the middle. Right. And so when socks. you, it, it. socks, yes, that's right. Socks. Uh, and so when you, when you think about that and men generally speaking are in these manager supervisor positions, they get bored. They're in monotonous positions. It's it's the same routine over and over. So then they start daydreaming right. and they start thinking and then they're like, oh, OK, well, oh, I'm just the pat on the back. And then it's the flirtatious uh, comment. And then it's like, hey, let's go out. And it's like, no, we're not doing that. And so there's a little bit of that. And then kind of this routine behavior, you know, from that perspective on the on the women's side, because we also get where women are harassing men and other women. Mm. Because, and and generally it's women and women against each other, because then it becomes, wait, they don't like the way they're dressed. Mm -hmm. They don't like Mm -hmm. the way they hold themselves or they're insecure. And so it's funny because all the data that we have and what we track is, look, a lot of people that do the harassing or discrimination, they're insecure with themselves. Yes. And so. That's such a great point right there. Listeners and viewers, you catch that? This is really important. 
Let's grab our last break already. It goes so fast, doesn't it? It does. Um, I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We were there with Jared Pope, who's the founder and CEO of WorkShield. We've been talking about some of the known risk factors where harassment is likely to happen. After the break, we're going to get into a few things that companies can do to avoid discrimination, harassment, and create a culture where people can actually talk. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. I mentioned after the first break about the Grab Your Gusto Wellbeing webcast learning series. The content of this program is adapted from part one of my recently published book called Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Ignite Passion and Elevate Cause, which is now available on Amazon. I wrote it to awaken leaders to to their passion and purpose and help transform them into inspirational leaders who enliven the workplace and elevate the contribution of business to all its stakeholders. If you're just joining us, my guest is Jared Pope, founder and CEO of WorkShield, and and I'm here in their office here. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. So for this last bit here, Jared, I really wanted to get into, we clearly presence the problem, I think. I think people now recognize, okay, this is a problem. I didn't know it before, but I'm convinced now. So now let's get into some of the things they can do about it. The first thing I want to talk about is that I know from my work how hard it is to communicate, especially if we're hurt or something feel, feels weird or we're tender about something or we just we just don't have the skills. Most of the time we don't have the skills or the practice, which is why for years I did a lot of crucial conversations training. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I think about just how challenging it would be, and you've already helped us point out that somebody's got an issue and who they're told to talk to is their manager who may be the one wasting the problem in the first place, or their HR person who maybe is not equipped. I mean, this is just such a problem here. And so I, looking at the work that you do in, in our conversation here, what I really appreciate that is that it seems that WorkShield is really providing employees and companies, what you call them, lives, um, that critical space to be able to tell their story and get help without the fear of some kind of repercussion. Right. No wonder your work moves you the way that it does. Yeah. Well, it, it comes down to, you hit a very key point, it comes down to communication. And so let, let's first understand the, the existing issues and, you know, why it happens is people feel like they can't communicate. Mm-hmm. And I often tell people, imagine going home to your spouse and making a major decision, but you can only do it over text or over email. That probably wouldn't go that well. I know my wife would be like, no, 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 we need to talk. Because I want you to hear my anxiety or my fear or my joy or my happiness, right? Communication is about hearing. It's also about listening, which are two different things. And so, but it's also about giving employees and individuals a place to be heard. Yes. And so companies today, and we talked about this a little bit where the broken system is today of, hey, here's an anonymous hotline. And then it goes right back to the company. 
that's the broken part because that's why people don't call it because they know if they call it, it's still going to go back to the company. It's yeah. going to go back to the manager, the supervisor, the HR, and they still fear, fear retaliation. So what we have done and what we have seen is leaders and companies out there, they say, hey, their question is, how do we give employees a voice? How do we make sure we listen to it? And then how do we hold ourselves accountable? Well, it's easy. You bring in a third party. Yes, I totally get that. And so when you do that, and there's there's this role in litigation. So as an attorney, there's a still called the role of apology. Which and, I want to get into because this is so important. Yes. And so this role of apology, the, the, this lawyer did this study that basically went to these plaintiffs and they won all the cases. And they went back at, even after demanding payment, they didn't settle, they took it to litigation and they won. And they went back and they said, are you happy now to the plaintiff? And they're like, well, yeah. And they're like, well, this is what you wanted. What did you really want? And they said, all we wanted was an apology. And that's it. And so if you think about that, it's not about litigation. It's about, listen, I just want you to know that you hurt me. Yeah. And I want an apology. Yeah. And I just want you to make me help me understand that, you know, how I feel, you know, my anxiety, you know, my fear. And you, we take this approach, which is a simple approach. And you say, hey, if you've been harassed or discriminated against, we want to hear you. Yeah. And we want to hear your anxiety. And it, it can't be done by a chatbot. It can't be done by an email. It's got to be done by human voice, right. by human connection, because this world revolves around that. And I think COVID today has even made it to where it's less of a human connection and allows people to make this a worse problem because a lot of people would say, oh, I bet you harassment and discrimination went down during COVID. No, it actually went up. Really? Yeah, because people were safe behind their computers. Oh, that's so fascinating. Catching this listeners and viewers is so interesting. I would have never guessed that. No, it actually went up. And so, which was interesting and because people feel safe, but also happy hours started happening earlier and you're at home. So instead of five, now it's three. And then they make comments and they feel more comfortable and they're mm. behind a, a Zoom call or a computer or they turn off the, the video. But so it really comes down to, okay, even with this, this connection, the, the employee has to feel connected that their voice is heard. But then once you give them that voice to be heard, there's two things. You got to intently listen. Yes. Okay. And then once you intently listen, you got to ensure a clear path to resolution. Yes. And that's where companies always fail. Fall down. Yes, I yeah. can totally see that. Yeah. Even just, I just delivered an employee engagement survey and we delivered all these great results. These are the things your employees were good enough to tell you. You've got actionable steps here. Um, now you've, you've got to follow through on these things. And you told them that you would. And that's where they fall down every exactly. time on that too. So, okay. So now let's talk about, aside from having you work shield as a third party, and I, that is just so important. Like how much easier was it, you know, when you went through any kind of dispute to have somebody else in, the, in, in, in between going back and forth and you trying to battle that? I mean, just, I think about when your emotions run high and you start to get hurt or you, you know, you want to cry or you want to, you get angry and you want to just start screaming. So hard to have a good mm -hmm. productive conversation like that. So to me, certainly a third party makes a lot of sense. But beyond that, Jared, what else would you recommend, you know, in terms of developing the leaders, developing culture, developing practices that you see the better companies instituting? Well, a lot of the companies are saying, okay, look, that we, we either know it's a problem or we may not 
know of the issues going on, but we're not so blind to think that they're not going on. Right. And so that's number one. So they, they got to recognize number one, they got to look in the mirror and say, Hey, I'm not going to be one of those companies that ends up on the front page news. Mm -hmm. I want to be one of those companies that takes a step forward and says, no, it's not happening here. And if it does, we're going to make sure you're held accountable. And so that's number one. Then number two, the leaders are sitting there saying, okay, let's give them a platform. Let's bring in someone like us, a work shield to not only do the intake, but actually do the investigation mm -hmm. and look into every single issue. And this is important. And I'll give you a stat. Prior to WorkShield, do you know the national average? So when an employee files a complaint, how long it takes to actually get investigated on the short side? I'm sure I don't want to know the answer, but please tell us. It's about 30 days. Okay. Okay. And that's national average on the fast side. So there was a recent article about Google and a Google employee in the New York Times. It took them 90 days mm -hmm. to solve one issue. Mm. Okay. Now, what do you think was going on in that employee's head? They don't care about me. Sure. Do they really like me? Is anybody hearing me? Now, angst, fear, resentment, contentment all builds up. And that's why litigation occurs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Where WorkShield, we actually do it in less than five days. So intake, investigation, and resolution. So if you file something on Monday. Crummy week to get to the week. <laughs> yeah. If, if you file on Monday, you're done by Friday. Mm -hmm. And so what does that tell you as an employee? That means the employer is saying, no, 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 we take this seriously. Yes, absolutely. Because we don't want you to go that long. And the reality is our average is really like three days. Um, but, but that being said, it's about do you care enough to hear your employees' voices? Most people will say yes. But then they ask the question, do you care enough to do anything about it? Yes, yes. And if you answer yes to that question, then you're on the right track. Mm -hmm. But once you answer yes to that question, you got to be committed. And so it's sad, in my humble opinion, today, a lot of DEI experts are being hired. Yes, they are. Oh, we got a chief diversity, equality, inclusion officer. Great. What resources are you giving them? You know, what are you doing? Yeah. And now what's interesting is we're starting to see a lot of these new DEI officers, they're leaving the job. Why? Because they don't have enough resources. They're either not they can't giving be effective. Enough, they're not being effective because they're not given the resources or they know the leadership. This is just a check the box place. I'm out. Yeah. See you later. Yeah. So, so I want to also present this for, for, you know, for the world of work, when you think about all of the human capital issues that a company mm -hmm. faces, employee engagement, right? Going the extra mile to get the job done. Um, it, retention, um, innovation, um, performance, right? All these different things that this, this can, this can start to impact. Then let's also add in what these people are saying about the company right. in their off time or on social media. That's right. I mean, this this is really an important issue, and so so going back to what can companies do in terms of like leadership or employee training? I taught at SMU. I know you went to SMU for a, a couple of years, and of course, they make us go through a lot of training. One, of course, was harassment, um, but in terms of how companies are preparing leaders to recognize it or or to avoid it, what are you seeing them do there? Well, it's a little bit about training. It's about understanding. You know, we all walk through the airport and we there's that phrase, if you see something, say, say something. something yep. If you hear something, say something. It's the same message. And instead of being a bystander, they're actually teaching people to be upstanders. Nice. And that's really a key element because it, and I'll give you a prime example. We have a client who's all on Zoom and there was an issue. And the moment it happened, nine other people raise their voice. That's amazing. But guess what? One of the nines was not the individual it was directed towards. So all nine were upstanders and the individual still had fear 
Mm-hmm. And, but that individual mm-hmm. and the other employees, I said, no, not in our house. And so those nine people reported the issue faster than that individual that it happened to did. Why? Because they know being an upstander is more important than having a toxic environment. Oh, that's so great. And that, this is where I want to work, folks. Yeah, I'll do my part. And then what that it also occurs to me that being an upstander in that situation, they were they already had more power because they hadn't had it foisted upon them. That's right. They hadn't been on the offense. That's right. Uh, or, oh, that's, that's so, so powerful. I love hearing that. Um, and again, so much of what I'm trying to do in the world is to create companies where people do want to not only want to come to work, but thrive. Right. Um, and so I love this idea of being an upstander. I haven't heard that before. That's quite interesting. Yeah. Um, anything else that you're seeing that companies are doing that are really making a difference to really create this strong thread or fabric of culture that supports a, a better environment? You know, it's really... It, it, a lot of people are surface level sometimes. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is a lot of the key executives in the world, and we're talking not Fortune 100 or Fortune 500 or Fortune 1000, we're talking mom and pop shops too. Yep. Yep. You know, they're key in people and, and they drive change. And what's interesting is they're approaching this whole dynamic, this human capital dynamic of interaction of communication of back to work. And they're saying, okay, how do we make it better? Right. And the resounding uh, or common denominator comes down to let's solve for the toxicity because if you remove the toxicity, guess what? Everything else is better. Mm -hmm. It's the root of the problem. It's the root of DE&I. It's the root of a bad culture. It's the root. Toxicity is the root of a bad culture. It's also the root of people being fearful because of toxicity. If you remove it away, you address the underlying problem. Guess what? Everything else becomes rainbows and cupcakes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and that's the issue, right? I, I, I've seen, I've worked with so many companies where I was actually brought in to address the toxic person or toxic leader in the room that nobody else wants to confront. Right. They want me to punch him or her out, right? <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, I, I didn't train this week. I can't do this. But, but you know, and, and they, instead of addressing it head on, you know you have a problem here. Right. Why aren't you doing something about this? This is a known issue for you. Usually it's because the person has great authority power, they have a lot of competence that they rely on, or they've come through in the past or whatever, and, but they know it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think people are scared to act, you know, because you, you touched on something called cancel culture. Yes. You know, so how are we going to solve for cancel culture? Yes. And people are afraid to make one bad move. And, you know, here in Dallas, there was the Richards group, right? Cancel culture yes. like that. Yes. Because he made a comment. And then all of a sudden he lost all of his big accounts. Well, that being said, that doesn't mean it was the wrong thing to do or the right thing. It's just you can't make a mistake without cancel culture happening. But at the same time, you also have to be set up to when the mistakes happen. It's not an impacting cancel culture. It's not getting to that. Why? People only cancel because they're frustrated. You're not hearing their voice. Yes. Yes. You know, but I appreciate what you're saying, too. Right. Because you're right. That's if, if I if I step back for just a second, you're right. Why was I brought in? Because the person that brought me in didn't have the confidence, the competency, maybe even the support to do something about that issue. So they right. wanted me to do it as a consultant or or as a coach or a trainer. Well, they didn't feel empowered. That, right, exactly. That's yeah, the and, and so they're looking for someone to come in and say, hey, help us solve this problem. Come in and help us you know, address the toxicity, address the bully in the room or the elephant in the room. And so that's where it really 
you know, you got to find that that right platform to do that. And so when people don't report their fear, right. And that executives are fearful too. Absolutely. They are. I know that they're, everybody's a human being with a heart and, you know, emotions, the whole bit. So I'm so glad to share with, with our listeners, Jared, because what you're doing in the world is really important. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. And so here we are at the close of the show already. You know the show is listened to across the globe by people that really do care about trying to create a culture where people want to come to work. They want to become inspirational leaders, and they want to do business at the highest cause. What do you want to leave them with? Well, it's simple. It comes down to three things. Make employees' voice heard. That's number one. And when you do hear them, you got to intently listen and then ensure a clear path to resolution. And when that happens, the world becomes a better place. The toxicity gets removed and employees feel safe going to work. They're happy. Employers are happy. Productivity is up. And look, this doesn't mean things won't happen again, but you have this, you have the platform in place because you're given the empowerment to the employees while at the same time saying we're protecting our culture. And that's really what it comes down to. Make every voice heard, intently listen, and ensure a clear path to resolution. Beautiful, Jared. Thank you so much for being my guest. I'm so glad I found you. Oh, this has been awesome. Thank you. Listeners and viewers, if you want to learn more about Jared Pope and the work he and his team do at WorkShield, just go to workshield.com. And thanks again to our partnering sponsor, WorkProud, which helps companies build a platform where your workforce receives meaningful feedback and thanks for their work from people across your company. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We're on the air with Gabriel Kazan, a purpose coach who helps men discover their purpose and to transform their lives into something of their best version. Next week, we'll be on air with Joyce Tom talking about the work she does in resilience, well-being, conscious leadership, and growth. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose. Oh, 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 o